Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast. Episode 33, How to Work with Editors. Recorded at Metatopia 2013 by Jason Pitt. Presented by Ryan Macklin, Amanda Valentine, Cam Banks, and John Adamus. Because here with Cam, we have all the major editors I can ever think of. Um, Hi, guys. Hi. Um, so, we're recording, so I, w- I want to just kind of gloss over the introduction part. The fun thing is, the fun thing is, yes, before we get any further, yes, Cam. I have worked with all three of you, you in have. that capacity. So yes, I, can, I can dish about how both. awful you are. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can also dish about how awful I am and undermine all of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I can be right out in front of that. But first of all, don't speak. So the subtext of this, of this panel is dealing with awful people? Yes, <laughs> dealing with bad humans. Right, writers, writers. I mean, editors. Yeah. I mean, well, let's, we'll be. Yeah. Who's not here? Graphic designers. Yes, yeah. So I'm John Adamus. Uh, I'm the writer next door. I edit the things that they don't, um, or vice versa, or something. Sometimes the things that we do. Sometimes the things you do. It, it, it's all sort of there. I, I edit a lot of stuff. What things I've edited? Uh, Marvel Horror of Worldline, Line, uh, Paranoid Papers for Calgary, uh, Paranoid Papers for Dresden. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting it. It's been a long day. Shh, don't uh, spoil that. Yeah, I'm getting there. <laughs> uh, most of the stuff for Pelgrim. Um, random odds and ends that you can find before on the internet. Um, I generally do a lot of general talk about editing, and my goal is to generally get people to a point where I don't have to do so much editing, I can focus on deeper things. Go. Macklin. I'm actually at the point where I don't have to do so much editing. It's nice, right? Yeah, it is. Don't get false. So, mm. uh, I'm Ryan Macklin. Uh, I am the Ryan Macklin next door. I'm sitting. That's a <laughs> <laughs> Um, um, that the thing's so, making me nervous. So I'm just gonna sit. Yeah. So it's one hell of a mic. You can sit on another right? level. Yeah. I'm always just there, like there you just, sit. just have the peanut gallery of editors it's over the board, here. The Gornups in the room is sitting at the table. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, mom. <laughs> that's the that's that's the internet that's that, that's internet dad. So yeah, that makes sense. So um so I I've done uh, a bunch of freelance editing since 2007, uh, guilty by accident. Um, in that people ask me what my rate for freelance for editing were once I sort of give them enough critiques that it was apparently like practically editing their book in the first place was a um, my friend Paul Tevis who wrote A Penny for My Thoughts which I, was my, my first gig editing although it was like my third published at that point um, it's eventually just said oh, let's just make this official how much do you want to actually edit my book instead of just I am you all the time um, and I'm like I don't know I, to, I am somebody else for a lot of um, uh, since then, I've worked on one of the uh, editors on Preston and um, one of the editors on Fate Core and various other things. And now I've been uh, editor at Paizo for the last year and change, uh, editing a lot of books. Um, I think I've probably, I think before Paizo, I probably edited 10 or 12 books, maybe. And now I've have my name and have touched somewhere. Maybe it's a lot. So, um, uh, so I've been for a bit, and speaking of people who've been for a bit, they're pointing at me. Or well, well <laughs> you're a logical bit, and I just segue way of each editing. Yeah, well, <laughs> okay, there. <laughs> 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 
Adults. Do your adult thing now. Um, yeah, I should get a Okay. Yes. I'm Cam Banks. I currently work at Atlas Games. Um, uh, doing brand management. Management. Yeah. yeah. I do that. Um, and uh, production. I do a lot of uh, graphic design layout now, so I technically am the graphic designer in the room. I'm not a great at it. But for the longest time, I have been a game designer and a developer and an editor on role-playing games. I've designed five games uh, to production and worked on a whole bunch of others. And um, in fact, one of my job titles early on was managing editor, which means I managed to edit. <laughs> Eventually. Um, I have worn way too many hats, but one thing I always do value is the role of the interior project. I think that if you do not have an editor in any project of substantial size, and by substantial I mean longer than a pamphlet, then you are severely uh, cutting back on what you, your project or product could achieve. So I'm kind of in the editorial Yay. camp, as opposed to the, which is the other one. <laughs> I'm Amanda Valentine. I have been editing RPGs for over a decade now. Cam being my first writer that I edited. Um, I've done, yes. Yeah. Uh, I've done Dragonlance, Dresden Files, Marvel, Firefly Now, Smallville, Little in Leverage, Fake, Fake Accelerated. Um, but I know a bunch of littler things, Bulldogs, and Fiasco Companion. And Little Wizards. Little Wizards, that's mine. Yes! I was like beyond editor on that. That's, that's oh, the thing that I, I other... made words for. <laughs> the thing I did, you know. Um, yeah, that's the, the kids' game I worked on that that was like editing on steroids. Because it was a French translation. Yeah. Yes. That first draft was awesome. <laughs> yeah, I showed it to John. I'm like, no! Oh my god. All is French. <laughs> okay, just a word if you're working on a translation. As have I'm doing the, now. Have the person who does the translation, their first language should be whatever you're translating it into. Yes. Not yes. what you're translating it from. from. Please. We could have like two translators. One who's translating it, and their, their language is the source language, and then the person who's taking it oh, would actually have this describing what you what you do. Yes. Except <laughs> I didn't speak any French. Oh, no, no, no. So I was like, But your source I, language is still English. But I don't know what. I can't parse this English because I don't know the French. What we're getting at here is the editor's job is to translate English to English. Yes. yes. That, that is the job in a nutshell. So it's English sometimes you get. That's, that's cool. Sometimes it works out. That's awesome. Um, I've also been working as a managing editor, which means that I have gotten to work with a lot of other editors who are starting out. With so that's actually been a lot of fun. Um, and sometimes you do manage it. Sometimes I do manage to edit. The, but the best part is when I don't manage to edit. I get everybody else to edit. Yeah, Thank you. <laughs> and I've been doing some fiction too, which is fun. So, anyway, should we ask what people want to know? I think we should probably put out that we're a little giddy. punchy, giddy, yeah, snarky. Yes. Um, it's because um, in some small Regards, sometimes we may appear soulless. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is because um, sometimes that's what the process does. Um, and so we end up having snark and have a little bit of like editors, you know, macaque humor to go yes. on. Yes. So welcome to that fold. <laughs> yeah, you're in. 
Um, I, I will now answer the questions asked in the booklet because I had someone in another panel go, the booklet says this panel's about blah, 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 so do it. Or it just says them what they want. Maybe they don't care about the questions. Is anyone going to raise a problem with the fact that the booklet says X and you got to say Y? Yeah, is that cool? No. I don't think Here, I got a starting question for you. <laughs> All right, Mark, I like starting questions. Okay, when in a project should you start working with an editor? Yes. Immediately. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> when should you start? All right, so my answer is going to be likely different from other people's because I believe more fundamentally in the developmental process. And I think that an editor um, or an editor worth their salt is a valuable bouncing tool for you. You can take an idea to them and go, this is what I want to work on. Okay. And if you're talking to them in strictly a, I'm a person who makes games and you're a person who deals in games, can we just help shape this idea? That's awesome. But the minute you start putting wholesale chunks of words together, that's when you can bring the editor in and go, I'm trying to make a thing about X. Does it sound like I'm doing that in this paragraph? Go. That's where you'd bring... Now, some people will go, no, you want to bring me in way later after you've done all your shit so I can break you and, and do you in pieces or something. But I, I'm, I'm of the camp of get in there early and help kind of steer the process away from the pitfalls that would otherwise delay you. Let's maybe break down the editorial position and job into a number of chunks because they do exist in little formats. You know, yeah. Yeah. yeah, sure. There are people who would, like, would never want to be anywhere near the beginning of the work because they think they're going to be too close to it. And if they do that, they're following along in the pilot design process and development, and they will fail to see the problems they're in the book yes. they yes. were there from the beginning. You have people who want to proofread only. They want to see a book that's been laid out. They want to go through and say, I've seen all these problems with this book. Here is where you should fix these things, spelling, typos, grammar, this whole section down that way. In which case, you have not hired an editor and should not pay an editor's prices for nope. that kind of thing. That's a proofreader. And you can often get that for free. Yes. And the, the title of editor and developer sometimes goes together because if you hire someone, like John Adams, for example, I might hire John and say, I'm going to be a writer and a creator for this thing. I would like a developer to help me work with this. Yeah. And part of your development duties may be some editing, but let's talk about having somebody else come on to work with you right. to edit some of it so we can negate this problem that comes out. But yeah, I mean, if you talk to any one editor, you'll get like 500 different responses. Yeah, absolutely. And it depends on the project, too. Like, I was much more involved in Smallville from the beginning. Yes. And um, for the Smallville yearbook, I was project manager and editor, which has potential problems. Yeah, it does. But for the book that size and the topic, I, I think it worked out. I'm proud of that book. It was a source book, actually. Right. Okay. Um, it was not the core book. But on the other hand, for some things, I really want to come in at the end because I do want to be the uninitiated writer and make sure that what you're saying really makes sense. So it, it kind of depends. You probably want to leave some flexibility, though, because there have been books that I came in on where they thought they were giving it to me at the end. I'm like, this book makes no sense. We need to rearrange these chapters. And so you need to still have that flexibility when you bring an editor in because it needs to not destroy everybody's universes if things need to be majorly reworked. You need to be able to hear that and not go crying and So uh, yesterday I posted about a thing that I'm experimenting with where um, I will basically farm myself out for like a six hour somebody's work um, and that is a place where if you feel like you don't necessarily need an editor to go through and do hard line editing on something but you know that there's something 
that could be fixed before you, you know, make a much bigger work and you go to an editor like, hey, does this outline even make any sense, you know, am I doing things right? Um, having somebody going through and doing a review with you of things, of, of problems that your, structural problems your book may have, um, language issues you might not be aware that you're doing, um, that grammar things that you keep doing over and over again that you should just point out to because then you'll save your editor, whether it's that person or another person, uh, a lot of headache, which translates to not necessarily having to pay as much money if, um, uh, depending on how you uh, handle payment um, and other sort of things that could be of value. It depends on if you're looking for, yeah, this needs some work and I don't know what kind of work it needs. Um, so I'm going to hire somebody who will do a short amount of work to figure out what sort of work it needs and how long I have to then spend myself after the fact. So like, okay, so like if I were to say, hire John, like, give me like, all right, I need this, I need a sniff test okay. of this, of this 50,000 word project, you know, you know, do, you know, and, and we, you know, end up figuring out a rate. He, you know, hands me back a bunch of stuff like, here are the notes, here's what's wrong, here's how you need to restructure it. Um, and, you know, and it was like, you know, at the end, like, and thank God I'm not editing this right now because, frankly, you're going to be reworking it anyway. Um, so if you're in a place like that, and most of us actually are and don't want to realize it because a lot of us, once we do a lot of work on a project, are afraid of that feeling like, we sort of get that weird sunk cost fallacy place where we don't want to, like, redo all that work because, dear God, we put so much time into that work. Um, you get that with a lot of with a lot of not just first time people, but people who feel pressured uh, in different circumstances. Um, having somebody come early on is good. Having that job be different is good. Yeah. Um, something from having one person come in early, something another person entirely coming to get fresh look done, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Um, and I mean, frankly, that's actually what we do at Paizo with the uh, way our development editing process is set up. Um, it's amazing. It's interesting. It is. It's weird. Larger scale than anything that I've Yeah. Yeah. Um, we've got uh, basically once from what authors turn over that the developer specs out, somewhere on the order of, I won't say like five people end up reviewing it. Um, the developer and then three to four editors, depending on the situation. Um, and so. Which actually means that one person will look at it early, like each passing editor. So you have that, like, one person who, yeah, we need someone to go in and do a really big, beefy editing pass on this. Ah, da, da, da. So, um, there's a lot, there's a lot of, there's a lot of beef. It's a complete beef handling. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, advanced beef handling. Well, I know. I'm trying to get the, <laughs> the time for a Paizo calendar. Um, very few people. I would say no one. Very few people want that. <laughs> Those people hate for it. So maybe, maybe. It also means fewer words to edit. And I love the product that we do that don't take a lot of editing. Yeah. Those get out quickly. Um, so, uh, and then you have somebody, another person who edits the next pass and some deals, and then edits the pass for that, which is then done in layout. Um, so you do actually have the, the everything you get a bunch of editors in different stages and you see the different ways in which those stages 
um, actually occur, which kind of goes to a tangential point of how often do you want to involve an editor, not just do you? Is this a one and done thing? You know, are you like looking to get a couple of passes in? Are you going to get one person to do a pass and hire another editor to do another pass? You know, that's another part of that particular question. There's follow-up questions. I could keep the panel going for days, but um, so so if you're thinking of hiring like um, like say other writers to write other pieces in your book, like do you sections? want yeah like sections okay. or color text or fiction or who knows what right? Like, are you better off doing that stuff like like for edit like I in my head I have like editors are like the wordsmiths as opposed to like what you're making it sound like is almost like a project. Managing, shaping, kind uh, of thing. Development, the, money. Yeah. The, the development the is often what people will refer to. Yeah, a lot of editors get hired to basically be project managers. Yeah. Um, sometimes they, and sometimes they're hired for that, but no one tells the editor that. <laughs> because people have assumptions of like, oh, the editor will totally keep me on task. Like, and no, I pay an extra fee for it. It's important to not confuse the editors for our business with maybe an editor at Penguin, for example. Yeah. Right. And that person is an incredibly powerful individual who will buy your book from you and then work on it and edit it without being. Right. That and person has powers. Uh-huh. I mean, if John was doing that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and that, in that case, it very much is a, <coughs> a, a, a project manager. Essentially, the publisher needs someone to be a project manager, um, whether it's that person or something. When you get one of these author is the publisher relationships, the you know like the, the one man shop sort of things, um, and if you're looking for someone else to be a project manager, you can stay up front. But a lot of cases, like um, you know, like editing for um, you know, like yeah, like editing the Penguin, it's yeah. like yeah, part of your job is explicitly to manage these projects. Yep. Um, you know, whereas if you hire me to be your editor, I'm not here to manage your project unless you. Also hired me to effectively be your developer. Who is your final say, too? Right. Yeah. It also has a big role. If you're editing um, something and it's going to go back to someone who will say, "I love all the changes made to chapter four, but chapter three, you are so off the mark because it's fixed that conversation." Yeah. Um, in some cases, the editor is the person who will hand it off to the company or the publisher, saying, "Here's our final thought." The writer has to be out of that whole equation completely. Yeah. So, and that's I think that most often is my experience with working with my productions. Freelancers, we get their content, and there's sometimes back and forth editing. Almost never. I almost never talk to anyone. I did it twice. Yeah. And after that, the writer is just going to be, be happy that they've been in the book. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And whatever problems there were, you know, it was the editor and the project manager who left to deal with it. Yes, we did. Yeah. And that's pretty much the same with Paizo, too, except that the, the, the developer in this case, instead of the, the project manager, would um, specs out the book, knows what the book's supposed to be about, understands. Uh, the role of this book in the greater scheme, the publishing line, its voice, things like that. So we'll, if we have questions, and we invariably do. We get the answer from the developer, not from the author. And it's also just a, a time scale thing. I can't. I may not be able to wait three hours to get this answer, let alone three days, for to get an email response. Um, because of the, sort of the magazine rapid nature of, of the beast. So, um, and also, the response may be what I need from an expert in what we're working with, which would be our developers, and uh, whether the author is an expert or not. Um, uh, we have experts who I can walk to their desk to get the answers for, 
much more conveniently than than anything else. Um, so yeah, in those situations, you totally have the you're the author. There's a there's a publishing company who's bought your words. Eventually, there's a book. Yeah, Shashank. Um, well, yeah. So uh, sort of to follow up on that, I uh, you know I, 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 I've worked on projects where there's multiple writers before, and um, the other thing I'd say is is uh, oftentimes the editors that I've worked with are more about massaging the tone so that uh, everything runs together without sounding like it's coming from. Ten different people. Yeah. Um, maybe you can talk a little bit more about what that's like because I know that that's an issue sometimes with with how do, how do you handle that because you're you're talking about people who write in completely different ways and you have to have a coherent document. How much of that is the editor's responsibility I mean, and how much do you have to rewrite to fix that sort of thing if you have that experience? It depends on the project, yeah. um, and it depends on the number of writers. So um, in a project where you have set of writers come in and they put together a draft. And let's say it's crap. Let's say for whatever reason it's 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 erratic, it's all over the place, it doesn't really do the thing we want it to do, the theme is all wonky, they're going in like five different directions despite any sort of steerage. Surely there's some cool ideas in there, but But it's all lost and jumbled and it's 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 a mess. So then you go, Oh, this is great. Let's bring in another guy, let's bring in another two guys, let's bring in another three guys and go, Alright, take this source material now. Don't, you know, Go use this, use the crap draft to do something with it. And you put a lot of pressure on that second round of writers to, to make it all sound and work the same. In terms of what that turns into editorially, that might be something as simple as, oh, well, once you have a good relationship with a writer, you know that, that all you've got to do for writer X is throw in some commas and tell them to break up his paragraphs. And maybe you're not rewriting so much. And maybe other times, because you've burnt this guy into the ground, when he gets to part six of the seven things he has to write, you end up you know, going, don't worry, dude, I got your back. I'll, let me write two pages of this for you. Because you've been, you've been so close to the project, you know how to sound like the person you're writing, or you're editing, rather. So in a pinch, I don't mind filling in a sentence. I don't mind writing a paragraph. Anything more than two paragraphs, I got all this shit to do. So I will flag it and say, come back to this part. But if it's like, you know, your sentence, you're like, the back half of your sentence is flip-flop, and it's it's not something where I'm trying to teach you. It's just like, hey, I'm going to rewrite the sentence, and I just do it. And and there's sort of that conversation back and forth. But tone is only half of the equation, because the other part you're looking for is readability. Because readability isn't tone. Tone is how it sounds, readability is what it does for the reader and how they make them feel. So it's, it's a balancing act between those two, because you might get a great writer who has a wonderful idea but it's not the thing that's supposed to be on the page. It's a great thing. You'd love to see it in something else, but it's just not not here, not, not what we asked for. So our job is to either make it, you know, trim the edges off, make the square peg fit the round wall, vice versa, or chuck it and say, this is cool, but not here. And there's a lot of that. So, uh, often for a book, there is a certain voice. And at this point, I have like my generic RPG voice that anything I edit is going to kind of sound like that unless I'm asked to put some kind of tone onto it. Um, no. You can roll some dice. It's hard to do that. Use it. Use is not Pittsburgh. I don't give a shit. I don't go to Pittsburgh. Um, but if something, like, I get, personally, I get overwhelmed if I need to, like, completely rewrite something. And so I'll usually bring somebody else in for that. But 
typically what I'll do on just a regular run-of-the-mill project, I'll get the chapter that seems like it is most in shape, and I will edit that one. And by the time I'm done editing that one, I know what this book sounds like. And then I just bring everything else to go on with that. What so for I, what it's worth, a lot of books that I edit sound like Clark. One of my favorite favorite experiences working with Ryan was when we made Dragonborn over Leverage, which was a collection of documents. The role playing game, as it stands now, I guess you've been told by some, I've been told that it's one of the greatest books that I've worked on, right? And I'm like, well, that's because we did a lot of work on this thing. Um, initially, the entire structure that we had spec out, and as a developer, I totally owned this problem. Uh, we had one way of doing it, and then having worked through it back and forth with some of the writers and stuff, you realize that, okay, it isn't going to work that way. And it was kind of like a last minute thing. It was the last couple of weeks. And I'm not fond of the fact that this was necessary, but it still ended up being great because we made that important. We completely restructured the book. And that's when I had to put a lot of tone in it. You had to put some tone in it. It was, um, we need that kind of the voice of the, the main character from Leverage, who is uh, Nate Ford, who wanted a kind of clippy, easy to read, sort of heist caper kind of thing. <clears throat> not everybody who wrote for it was able to get that. Right. And there were times where you had to break that because there were things that he would not be able to say. Right. And partisan, the tech guy, would be able to throw in. So there was a lot of, which is the same thing we had with uh, Dressing Files. We had the, the, I kind of love and hate writing in world stuff. Like yeah. That. yeah. Um, and with Leverage, it was interesting because we didn't explicitly state. No. We just, we made it sound like that. And we made it consistent, whereas we explicitly state that. Um, so, uh, over the last year, I've spec'd out a bunch, uh, well, four um, books for Onyx Path uh, for the um, Ascension Technocracy Convention line. It's not the longest title on the line I've worked on, but it's close. Um, and with um, that, I've, I've grabbed five writers, including myself, um, because I'm a fan of the the more people that uh, I can hire on means that my dumb can be fixed. Um, or more people mean smarter. I'm not as smart as me plus four other awesome people. Um, but I like my dumb can be fixed. As a, as a so, but I would hire them for different parts where the voice was supposed to change. Um, and I would spec out, here's the voice on slide. Um, like for, for the different history sections, it was always sort of an in-character voice, somebody telling somebody else about what's going on. And, um, like for the, the one for the syndicate, I had Adam, Adam Cobo and said, okay, so, so you know, uh, she's a power broker. She's from Ghana. Uh, she will eat you for fucking lunch. Um, and I'm like, here are all the things that she should sound like. I, I want this to, to sound like, like she is like sitting down with you. She is having scotch and she is, Deeming to spend time trying to groom you, even though you're probably going to fail. Which is actually added in a nutshell. It's actually a reason I wanted to for this particular project. Um, because, you know, he is a, a, a high sharp Donna woman. Yeah, it's a short kind of Yeah, yeah, sort of sport Canadian bearded man. Like the he's a hobbitish. This is a so, yeah. It's going on the highlight reel. Yeah, it is. Or it isn't the highlight reel. Um, 
So, uh, so with that, I was like, okay, I know that's the voice. I want him to work on this voice. I'm going to ask him to work on another part of the book. And I would tell him not to use that voice. Tell him that it should look like these things. Here's previous material we've done in those sections. It should look like that. Um, when I have the gear guy working on the gear porn stuff in, this, in those books, um, like, you know, write like we normally write gear porn as an age porn. Or, you know, tethered. Stuff porn porn. None of actually just porn. Well, okay, yes. That would that would be an industry that's legal. It is. Um, but anyway, so. Is there actually porn porn? True. So, the point is, but, uh, but I, I individually spec out a lot of these. Now, there will still be inconsistencies. And because I may, and in fact, I did uh, spec out three different parts of one chapter, which I normally don't do, or three because they could all write specific in-world stuff in a way that I needed. Um, as a developer, um, my job is then to, sometimes is to, all right, I have to rewrite this. Uh, you sh in those cases, I did a one development pass and I would send it back and get stuff. So I would say, I'm rewriting a little bit of this and then flag and say, rewrite the rest to kind of be in line with um, but when I am the developer who is then handing it off to editing, who's then going to layout, who's then going to publishing, means never going back to the author unless it's a big problem, <coughs> then I will rewrite entire sections. Um, but I do everything I can to not because I'm not being paid for my time in those instances. Um, but yeah, that, that there. When I'm editing and I see that to be the case, um, I'll bring that up as a, as a question because, and I used to not, I used to. Used to be the editor that would just spend time rewriting stuff because I didn't value my time the way I do now because I was young and dumb rather than being the current age I am and differently dumb. Um, but I didn't value the time now, so I now know like I'm going to flag this. I'm going to find out if it is worth my time to rewrite if I'm the right person to rewrite it. But the moment it is like I got to do more than like fix this paragraph. I'm going to flag it and we're going to see what should be done with it because at the end of the day, uh, I'm being hired to edit, I'm not being hired to write. Jason. Okay. You all have your own subjective values of small, medium, and big projects. No, which are easiest and which are hardest out of those three mm -hmm. classifications for each? Size is in the arbiter of difficulty. No, it really isn't. Size is nowhere near the arbiter of difficulty. Because I have worked on. It, can, it certainly contributes yes. to the, the more difficult a project is, the bigger makes it suck more. Right. So it's not a multiplier. Right. Not readability. Yes. So, I mean, I've worked on pamphlets for businesses that you can only fit nine words on the, in the square. And that could be nightmarish because you know you're going to need at least two verbs and maybe an adjective and hopefully punctuation. And try to tell a complete sentence, inviting someone to spend, you know, 20% off. That's sizably a totally different issue than someone going, I have written 400 pages, please make my game win in any. And, and throw this out there, when size is a hard limiter in both directions, as in this must be a four-page thing, yeah. not less, not more, that can be murder if what you had was, what was uh, spec'd out and written was five pages, just as much as it would be with three. So, um, 
the canon is supposed to fit in can make it even more suck more. That was the word I used. Right? That was yes. it. What do you think? Oh, it totally depends on the, the project itself, and it depends on who you're working with and all that kind of stuff. But having flexibility to expand or contract as needed is really helpful. I agree that being set on a size. Yeah. I mean, but that sometimes you are, of what, partly because of just printing factors. You know, right, so, right. Yeah. But like part of Dresden was, <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't going to work as originally designed. It wasn't going to be the game we needed it to be. So many discussions on that. Yeah. It was, I mean, what is it, 700 and some odd, 750 ish pages? 760 pages? It became the Deathly Hallows of RPGs at that point. So this must be two movies. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it was, it was, at, I remember the arguments for, and we just cut down and make some of this web content. And eventually, oh wait, we can do two books? So! Yeah. Well, the, yeah, there was really, there was. Um, there, there was pushback on making it two books. And stuff. <coughs> like legal pushback, the contract was for one book, things like that. And right. then also logistic printing. I mean, there were... Right. There, there, were made, there were good reasons yeah. for the pushback on it, but, you know, not having... The, once you got the flexibility, make two books one. Right. Yeah. It was just, it functionally, as a product, would not have worked as one book because it would have been, I think, more expensive than 90 pages, and it would have broken her some binding. Yeah. Um, and um, the U... It would have to be registered as a lethal weapon at that point, which means that in some states it wouldn't be legal. It's all complicated. Other questions? So, are, are there some things? Oh, sorry. Nope. So, are, are, are there things like, uh, in terms of guidance with working with editors, like things I should avoid doing, in, in, like I, like other than like obvious things, but like just in terms of pr pr providing? Can I first? What do you think is obvious? Because Part of the problem is that that's not a shared assumption. So what do you think is obvious? I don't know. Not paying. Oh, so <laughs> well, that's, that's pretty good. It's a good answer. Yeah. I, I, and I, an honest answer. Yes, Lisa? Well, as a freelance editor who's not making a lot of money, but never mind that, first thing you can do, what do you want me to do? Yeah. What do you want me to change? What do you want me not to change? You're signing my paycheck. You're putting my name in the credits. I work for you. You tell me what you want. Actually, that's a good point. Is is are you being credited? Are you getting a compliment? There's no assumption um, that uh, won't be uh, violated at some point yeah. uh, in this business. Um, so just having things like here's you know starting off with you know here's this thing I've done. Here's my experience doing stuff in this hobby community, what have you. Um, here's what I believe I need from you. That, that, and perhaps with the stress of what I believe I need. Because that at least communicates that you know that you're trying to work out what it is you need. And maybe some editors will not have patience for that. You don't want to work with them, at least not at that point uh, uh, in your um, yeah, say career, but not career, uh, life. Um, and just sort of, sort of getting that sense of, of I don't, I know I do not know what I need, but I know that I need something and to let us have a conversation. I can work with that. that. Yeah. Oh, totally, yeah. And that's, that's a good start rather than declaring what you believe you need as fact. When it turns out don't you don't need that or you, or, or you communicate in a way like, oh, yeah. I could totally do that, and you get back like, 
I expected something different. <laughs> I think so there are two different approaches for a first game that can be really helpful. One is that you hire an established RPG editor, which is probably going to cost you more money. They're going to be, you know, there's going to be a whole set of stuff with that. But you're getting somebody who has done this before, who can share their experience with you. The other option is that most RPG editors learn on the job. And so if you get somebody who has not really gotten started yet, who seems to have the skills and so on, you guys can learn together. I learned how to RPG edit because I was working with Tim. I had no experience at all before Swipe I started. Out. It's all your fault. <laughs> and so in many ways, because I've been working with Cam for the past 10 years, everybody gets kind of what Cam needed in an editor at the time. You know, I grew that way, I learned that way, my tone evolved that way, and and that has been totally formative for me. And so there is in some way a huge advantage to finding somebody who's getting started and who's going to be totally passionate about this. That's the key. If you're in it for the money, <laughs> but, you know, if you're totally passionate about this, you pay that person well, still. Well, that, that's it. You, you Even if you're not pay. in it for the money, still money get paid. If nothing else, you, you help set a precedent that other writers and editors who are in it for the money will also get paid because yes. the more people allow themselves to be screwed over because they're doing it for the love, and yes, it's a little soapbox <clears> moment here, uh, the, the more you make it difficult for those of us who are doing it, not just for the love, but because for some foolish reason we thought that perhaps we can pay our rent with this. But it, this is a specific instance too, because I'm talking about when you are starting out on your first game, you need somebody who is full of love for this, who is full of passion yeah. for this, because it's going to be the two of you really caring about this that's going to turn out the good game, and you're both going to learn together. But what's it's going to kill the game of the person that is completely emotional and has no real investment. Right, if they're just looking for a paycheck. I'm not saying you shouldn't give a paycheck regardless, but no. if they're yeah. just looking for a paycheck can, on your first game, that's probably yeah. going to be hard. You can include having someone who's emotionally invested in the craft of producing great works. Right? Which is pretty much something that sums up the four of us here. Yes. Yeah. So that's an important thing. Maybe they don't know about you know the strange history of the Roman Empire, but they'd love to find out by reading your work and telling you how much better you can do in getting that across. Sort of speaking as a, as a writer who's worked with John specifically, um, when I started out with my first game, I went to somebody who I knew was an editor, but and that person was strictly a copy editor, but presenting themselves as otherwise. And it, they came at, at it as a, well, here's just your, your spelling and grammar errors. And thankfully, I ran into John, who has been nurturing this game that I'm working on. And because of that, um, he has passion for what he's doing, so clearly... That translated into, I'm going to show you the ropes as your first time game out. I'm going to tell you what to look for. I'm going to tell you what not to look for. And also, I'm going to teach you how to work with an editor. And that's something that I've learned also, which is, here's the do's and don'ts that I would, you know, for going forward. So that if I ever work with anybody else in the in the industry, I will know how to approach that. So I think that's something that a good editor can teach you is how to work with editors also, so that you know what you're talking about going forward. One thing I'll bring up, too, is that this isn't necessarily always true for first games at all. I think my afterwards, but it's great if you can uh, come to your editor with uh, some kind of style guide or a, a bible or something that lets them know certain parameters of how the work needs to be uh, taken care of. Actually, sometimes build that as part of... Yeah, I, I was about to ask, and where would one get a style guide well, if you didn't Well, that's the, the, the part of the thing is that when you're looking at, for one, there's like the general sense of a publishing style guide, like say Chicago Manual style or something like that. Yep. That's, you start with the default of 
and that that is that sort of starts with like, how do you like commas? Do you do you love the Oxford comma or do you hate freedom? Yeah. <laughs> That's good for me to know. <laughs> if you hate freedom, uh, you know, sort of like the thing is like uh, your your money buys groceries just as well as somebody else. But no, I but really don't hate freedom. You have serial commas or are you a serial killer? Yeah, yeah. The, it, that there's no other option. Um, but but uh, so but in things like that, and uh, okay, now I start to see that you're using terms. You're now being inconsistent in your capitalization. That means we're going to talk about what all of your game terms are and how yes. they should be used. Yes. And so you end up basically that's something that Gen Con asked me. Like, so how do I build a style guide? It's like, well, first you start by having questions that come up while you're working on the game. Yeah. Then you answer those questions. Then you write you them down so you don't have to remember them. Then, and then, and then that may cause you to uh, totally see your hands up. Uh, and then may cause you to um, have more questions, or just feel like you need to write something else down. Um, we had a separate brief style guide uh, that got incorporated into the, into the main one of Paizo, which is like 60 pages long or something. Um, part of it is like stat blocks, and part of it is um, here's like canon stuff, and like here's like a, the name of the country, people are called this, it's this, it's that. Uh, and a lot of it is like, here's how we specifically, in specific terms, in general terms, deal with like diversity. Um, uh, and they're like, for, for a quick example, um, uh, the default pronoun for a rogue is female because the iconic character is a female. Default pronoun for a fighter is male because the iconic character is male. So there's a lot of, all of those rules are written down so that you don't have to remember them. And it's just, it slowly builds. Like it was 54 pages when I started, now I think it's 60-ish, something like that. Most so, style guys are not that long. Yeah. No, no, I mean, yeah, most style guys are going to be that long. Like when we built one for leverage, it was like a third of the page to start. Yep. And that was just, we need to know these things go on. Um, but, but yeah, so I want to build on the quick point of if you were to hire a an established folk like one of us up here, uh, and you feel like sticker shock uh, is something to be concerned about. And to be fair, everyone's on on various tight or not tight budgets, depending on how you're funding. Uh, one thing to consider is that a, a lot of cases we also end up becoming um, loud advertising uh, venues because we like to tell people we're working on awesome stuff. Yes. So um, you are getting something more than just editing for that, whether that pays itself or no. Who knows about anything in this crazy world? But um, there are there are that there's that aspect of hiring somebody who is uh, an established professional who has a fan base who will talk about that regardless of editing or the layout or whatnot. So that's even something else to say. Like, um, do you mind promoting this when yeah. this comes out? Which is a good that question. To ask. Yeah. Well, and, and also, I've had the interesting thing where I was working for a new company, and like, we well, can't say that you're working on this right now. Like, oh. That's totally new for me. Yeah. You need to explicitly tell me that because I'm used to being able to say I'm doing this work, and they're like, "Well, we haven't announced it, so we can't talk about it." So you need to don't assume that people are going to know that. Yeah. It because I've had very open, you know, transparent companies overall that I've been working for as far as what I'm doing and so on, and so that secrecy was very strange. I think. So uh, we had Lisa. So Lisa, Lisa. Also, did that answer your question sufficiently? Yeah, I think so. Good. It's all like kind of rolling. Uh, another thing about style guides is it's also 
who am I working with right now? If I'm, for example, editing uh, Tales of the Crescent City, Call of Cthulhu scenario is set in New Orleans. So if you're the author of one scenario, I'll send you one bit of material because that's what you need to know. If I'm then talking to uh, Mark, who I think is doing the layout for this one, I'm going to be asking him, what formatting do you want not to be in because you're just going to have to strip it out. That's a different style guide. And when he sends it back to me, um, and now I'm looking at it laid out, now I'm looking at that style guide, not the other one. Right. Yeah, we, we have that class that Paizo's the uh, style guide for having it marked up to go to layout in addition yep. to the style guide for what writers need to know. Which is what I'm um, used to. I'm used to seeing those combined yeah, so that you so don't I, have to strip uh, the writer's at, stuff at, out. Um, I want to say, and I could be misremembering, and I have to say that because we're being recorded, um, that the like Onyx Path um, uh, style stuff, there was a, a separate style guide for here's the stuff you need to remember as writers, as a, ge a general style guide. Yeah. And here is the word template and how to use it. Yeah. Style guide. Um, White Wolf was merged, but I don't know Onyx Path. I okay. dug up the old White Wolf one, and it was merged. Okay. Well, I know that there was some merging. Uh, uh, maybe it is merged, uh, and I just misremember. Again, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> Tie in with style to some extent. One thing that you should not count on your editor to do is to check the spelling of your made up names or whatever countries or like. Can I do that? Yeah, I can. It takes me a lot of time. And often it's not until I'm in the third iteration that I realize you've spelled the name, you know, three different ways. And I, then I have to come back to you and find out what the how you actually want it spelled. If you include all of that in a really quick little style guide kind of thing, like I'm starting to get that with the author that I, the fiction author that I work with. She gives me a list of everybody's name and you know other important relationships, so that I know what she wants it to look like, and I can make sure that that's consistent through the whole book. And I don't have to guess somewhere along the line which one was right, and then I can catch her errors, because otherwise I'm, you know, just sort of guessing, and then have to go back to her and sometimes have to fix what I fixed incorrectly. Um, so that kind of thing is really important and. Don't count on your editors to check facts. Yeah. Can we? Yes. But that's taking us out of the manuscript. That's making us go online to look up this stuff and just... Fact checking is its own job. It really is. And and if you explicitly want to ask an editor to do that, that's fine. But the best case scenario for that is there's a fact check run. And then there's an editing run. Every time I have to leave the text to figure something out, it's distracting me from the best editing job I can be doing. If I have to fix your typos, that's distracting me from the editing job that I could be doing. You want to hand me as clean a manuscript as possible, fixing as many things as you can fix yourself, so that I can really focus in on what most needs to happen to that document. One of the things that I arrived at when I was first working on Marvel Heroic uh, is that I knew it was going to be a very sizable project with a number of books coming up, so we had to do a lot of laying up groundwork early on. And the, one of the best decisions I think we made was to hire a rules editor yes. who was designed, who was specifically supposed to work with the writers on rules editing. And that was it. Um, that was his job. Her Not managing editor, but he kind of went underneath man, Amanda in terms of the hierarchy so that he would report to her in terms of what we should do. Yeah. But a lot of the stuff that, that Candy did was great because he was like, you know, I'm razor sharp looking at the text of staff logs, I'm looking at the way you use a rule here as opposed to over here. Yeah. And 
commanded to not have to really care about it as much. If you caught I mean, something, I still caught stuff, but then I was only catching like the egregious stuff that had right. slipped through and tight at it. So this is a case of having specialty people in the book who are yeah. not just having specialty writers in the book. Like, I know you can write about this. They have an editor whose job is to go in there and take out certain things before the uh, editorial process is finished. And the bigger the project, the more important that is. Yeah. So extending this discussion, what are some things that you can ask of people you're working with that makes your job that much easier? Like, you know, we're talking about all these misconceptions that people have or preconceived notions. So what are some like really big things that you've experienced that you can like ask people for and that makes your job really much easier. What's your discipline like? I am also a freelance editor. I know. What's your discipline? My questions would be, what's your discipline like? Oh, okay. <laughs> and, and how well do you take, uh, if I really slam you, how well are you going to take that? Mm-hmm. Um, what is your What is your idea for funding this book? Because I have seen, I have seen the nature of Kickstarters has changed my job, yeah, and in some cases, people want to um, create really tight turnarounds because not because they're trying to hit a Kickstarter deadline, because they're or a publishing deadline. Like I need to have this published by X, but they're trying to hit some sort of weird. I need to start my Kickstarter by X deadline. Um, a lot of people will come to us with very unrealistic timelines, um, and. Uh, I've, I've had times where I miss, I've personally misjudged the project or misjudged the fact that they ignored when I said the project could be finished. Had that, they're like, oh, sure, we'll totally hire and then try to strong arm me into getting it done three months sooner than I said it would take to get done. Um, so an honest assessment of timelines and an understanding um, of them is one of the other things that I, um, that I big on getting. I think the other thing to remember as an editor is it all ends with us, basically. And so every deadline that gets blown up until it comes to you is going to affect you. And so making sure they understand that that's what's going to happen, that if it comes to you a week late, that's going to push your deadline back a week, and they need to know that. And well, it either ends with us or it ends with layout, in both cases. Right. Case. I mean, it does end up, yeah, it does end with layout. Yeah, well, sometimes they Ends with us still. I mean, yeah. one of the two of us. But yeah, every time something's blown. There was an idea that there was a stage of just called production, which is we take the first thing and turn it into a book, which includes the printing of it and the layout of it and everything else. And the editorial uh, kind of overlaps a lot of time into yeah. that. Because even after the book's been laid out, sometimes the commander will like, grab it and I need to have it back. And at one point, he used to pester us, can I have the InDesign file so I can just edit my thing? And there was argument about that. But, um, Otherwise, I had to turn these notes. Then I had to go back and make sure they've been corrected properly. Yeah, so. No, no, I, I had to do that for some books. And I think something that I think that I'm hearing is that you know, don't assume that your work window to establish with them will suck up and uh, absorb yeah. your over yeah. your, your, the deadline. Uh, I've, I've had people say, I think I can probably get this to you two weeks later. I thought, and my response is, okay, so you understand that that means I will get it to this two months later. Because I don't have, like, I can't change the other commitments in my life. I am totally cool with you doing this. This is the impact. And sometimes you're like, okay, I respect that. And people are like, fuck, well, uh, I'll get it to you tomorrow? I'm like, if it's ready by tomorrow, yes. If not, <laughs> Then 
I will let you know that you have won the deadline. Um, and I say that to people hiring me. Uh, if, if you blow a deadline and something I have hired, that's a different conversation. Um, but to people who are like trying to figure out, hey, I think I, I think we've got time to work on this. Like, there was one book where somebody, and the different times of years, by the way, a big deal. There was somebody a month before Gen Con last year said, hey, um, we're trying to get this book out by Gen Con. Ah. Yeah. Uh, and, and, like, no. and my response is, that's cool. Did you start printing it a month ago? Um, and it turned out that I found out later that they had a, they had a bunch of promised commitments, but their editor bailed on them. Uh, I'm like, okay, now I understand why you, you're in this crunch, but no, I can't. I can't do that. I, I actually, I personally have blackout dates. And around yeah, hacks, the, uh, um, the, the two or three weeks leading before April 15th is now one of my blackout dates. Um, so that I, I don't want to have anything to do right then. Um, I'm going to ask you this in case you want to run about the week before. Okay, yeah, as long as it's done. Well, sad news. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah, our editing windows are going to vary, and they and we have lives. Um, so if any one of us says, like me, for instance, might say, um, oh, I would love to work on that. I'm getting married then. Um, so I unfortunately have to pass. And it might even be a conversation of, oh, well, that means can I hire you two months later? Yeah, sure. Can I have one last quick uh, like, statement to me? About my step with What's the best thing about working with that, John? The best thing about working for with me? Yeah. He's a corporate platform. Um, I, I, apparently I am known to get things done in a prompt and efficient manner. Melt your face off fast. Melt yes. your face off there, fast. There you go. Um, even, even when I try not to, I still end up doing it. Because I, I have nothing else to do. So I have the least amount of life out of all these people. No, no so problem. No, no problem. problem. Let's just all go. Oh, no. Best thing about Ryan? Uh, I've been told, I think it was Brad Hicks who said that my superpower is basically blanking my mind and knowing what the reader needs to read on any given day. Um, and so I'm a real asshole about organization for that reason. This seminar recording was made possible by the generous contributions of the panel speakers and the Metatopia convention organizing team, Double Exposure. All of the Double Exposure conventions are amazing, and I can't speak highly enough of Metatopia as a convention for designers to meet up, to discuss, to test, and to learn more about this lovely hobby of ours. You can find out more at www.dexposure.com. And I hope you'll join us next year at Metatopia.